Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of EO Fire and welcome to Master Leadership. Great leaders ask great questions and this podcast takes you on a journey to master leadership with questions that matter to leaders who matter with your host, Lily Sinabria. Hi, this is Lily, and welcome to Master Leadership Through Crisis series, where we will connect with leaders worldwide to gain insights on important questions to help us navigate these rough waters. If you would like to participate as a guest, or if you have a question that you would like to ask, go to masterleadership.org forward slash podcast. That's masterleadership.org forward slash podcast for more information. Today we are speaking with Dr. Jim Carr. In our increasingly noisy and commoditized world, Dr. Jim Carr helps organizations break through the noise and to grow through more effective and consistent client conversations. Unfortunately, too many are missing out. They have a lot to offer, but their message doesn't connect or they lack enough messengers to help share it or the entire process seems unmanageable. Jim offers clients and audiences his experience as a consumer researcher, award-winning corporate marketing leader, and now consultant, speaker, and coach to organizations ranging from startups to members of the Fortune 500. Jim is the author of The Science of Customer Connections, Manage Your Message to Grow Your Business. He is also host of the Manage Your Message podcast. Jim earned an MBA from Duke University's Fuqua School of Business, along with his bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees from the University of Florida. But Jim also knows you don't have to be a PhD, a professional speaker, an extrovert, or a brilliant conversationalist to bring your own organization's story to life. You just need to follow a process he calls managing your message. Welcome, Dr. Jim Carr. How are you? I am terrific, Lily. It's a pleasure to join you and your uh, leader listeners. Yes. Are you ready to pour into our listeners? I absolutely am ready. I've been looking forward to this. Okay, great. Now tell us a bit about your path to leadership and what you're doing now. Well, Lily... You know, sometimes the path only makes sense maybe looking back, how the dots were connected. It's a bit of a mix, small business ownership. I was in higher education as a researcher and professor, full-time faculty member for a while. I left that actually after having made tenure. I'd started doing some consulting work for a few different clients, one of whom had a couple of businesses and was adding a third. He was putting together a management team to run that combined business and came to me uh, one day and said, hey, Jim, I think you ought to get a real job and come run marketing for our combined businesses. And I was very intrigued with that idea. So although I really enjoy the teaching and the research part, I used to do a lot of research around audience psychology, buyer psychology, became chief marketing officer of a medium-sized company, private company called Mountain Valley Spring Company, uh, which among its products is America's oldest brand of bottled spring water. I was 
leading uh, our efforts in that for a while. And then for the past more than a decade, I've been more as a consultant, coach, advisor, and now author around helping businesses to learn how to talk about their business and to get other people to do it in a consistent and positive way. I love coaches. I love consultants. I think as leaders, um, we glean so much from each other. And I get to do that on a regular basis, which is really wonderful. So where can our listeners connect with you? The hub of all of this is my website, which is jimcar.com. I have been advised to buy a vowel, but at this point, it's not really going to happen. So <laughs> jimcar.com is Jim. That's the easy part, J-I-M. My last name is spelled K-A-R-R-H. And I have a number of resources that are there. I have a, a new book, which is available in both printed and electronic and audiobook formats. So wherever you buy and however you consume books, it's available to you. It's called The Science of Customer Connections, Manage Your Message to Grow Your Business. Another thing I do that you can relate to, Lily, is I have a podcast called the Manage Your Message Podcast. So that's another free resource where I sometimes do some solo episodes on a particular topic, but more often I'm interviewing people who have some interesting perspective on one's message, building a fan base and management habits, leadership habits uh, that will be helpful as well. So I've spoken to a lot of authors and coaches and gurus and experts. Lily, I've spoken to the former NFL quarterback who had to replace Joe Montana. I've spoken to what? a conductor, a former chief hostage negotiator for the FBI, all sorts of different perspectives. So uh, much like you, I'm always trying to learn and learn from other people. Perfect. You spoke about being a chief marketing officer. And right now we're in the middle of the global pandemic, COVID-19. How has that affected your business or your thinking about marketing? Because it's, we've never been in this situation before. At least most of us haven't. I don't think that there's been anything like this in our lifetimes, Lily. It's just been different. I mean, there are all sorts of comparisons to 9-11, the Great Recession, uh, 2008, 2009. But this is very different and it's global in its impact and very uncertain in it. So I agree. And it has impacted my business as a author, trainer, coach. It's impacted in several ways. So I've got a number of clients, executives and companies who don't know what to do. And they've been impacted. They don't know how they're going to come out of this. And they've shut down. They're looking for governmental assistance and they're mm -hmm. really on hold. They've been forced into right. that. A few others, knowing that there's something on the other side of this, it's going to be a little different, but they're continuing to invest and they're continuing to consider how do we sell? How do we service customers? How do we stay in touch with our customers during this time? And they put all those things together. So that has impacted in some ways how I deliver help and what their teams need. For example, I have a client uh, that sells software into financial services uh, institutions. And so their, their salespeople are at home. Uh, they're not getting meetings, but uh, they still need to know, well, how do we keep in touch with our customers? And what do we say? How, do, how are we empathetic? But also, how do we continue to, to look to ways that we can grow on the other side of this? So what would have been a couple of days of an in-person workshop, really, we carved into a series of four Zoom uh, virtual <laughs> sessions with their team to try to put that message together. So sometimes it's in the whole concept, a whole strategy of what we're going to do, and that's changed. And, and again, some businesses are kind of on lockdown or they're frozen. They don't know what they want to do. And others are saying, 
We still need help. We just need it in different ways. So this is an interesting space. I was on the verge of actually releasing and launching something right before this happened. And I have to rethink that. And I was thinking, well, how am I going to do that in a way that's effective? And I was like, I need to seek advice. And then I thought, well, nobody's gone through this before. Um, <laughs> true. What kind of advice are they going to give me? Except that these conversations are important because you have a perspective. I have a perspective. So we need that kind of feedback. Lily, and for your listeners, I'll share the results of a conversation I've had with a, another client who's in transportation, trucking and other means of transportation. They're struggling with the same thing. So they have a few hundred sellers across the U.S. And on the one hand, it's like, we don't want to be smarmy, salesy. We're not trying to push services right now when their world of physical movement of goods is so up and down. If they have customers who are in what are designated as essential services, their volume is crazy. They just need to take care of it for so many more. They're not essential services and, and volume's way down and they're wondering what they're going to do. So on the one hand, we could come across as too pushy of not acknowledging the obvious of the impact and the uncertainty and their customers' businesses. So that's wrong. But going silent isn't correct either. The people do need to hear from us. Now, this is something that you've spoken about and your guests have spoken about in the past. It's tremendously important now is how to be a good listener and how to lead with empathy. And so what we're working through with their sellers is, look, the first thing is that your customers and prospects do need to hear from you, but not with a pitch, not with a demo, not with an offer. I'm certainly getting a lot of those, especially through LinkedIn. I don't welcome that. Uh, but what they do need to have is, is human acknowledgement. And so let them talk a little bit about the impact of their business. Their forecasts have been thrown out the window. They're trying to figure out what to do. I think we are in this pandemic time connecting more as humans. We're all a little bit more vulnerable. So many of us are at home. Uh, you and I are speaking when we've got kids and dogs uh, a few feet away from me from my home office. All of these things are going on that actually can improve our relationships over time. If we ask good questions and listen well. Uh, the other thing with this group is they do have access to information and guidance and things that can take some uncertainty, some fear away from their customers. So they have real-time data into what kind of goods are moving and costs and things like that. So it's one of those, Lily, where they can go to their customer base and say, even if now's not the right time, perhaps if you're open to, we can share some of the data that we're seeing that you might not have visibility to. So when the rebound comes, and if there's some surges in the business that affects you, you'll feel better prepared and you can make better forecasts for your people and your money. That's empathy, good active listening, asking questions, letting your humanity lead, but also providing information, insights, encouragement that your customers or your prospects might not have at this time. So it's offering value and adding value to others. That's exactly right. And that's a common mantra, of course, about you know, being valuable and adding value. I think at this time, if you consider what's valuable right now, and it can be your insights, your encouragement, and sometimes just human connection. Right. And that's important because you can think you're adding value, but if you're not listening to what your client needs or your customer needs, then it's really value for you and not for them. That's um, exactly right. Value might not be, hey, 
we're not moving any product right now, so we're giving a discount to everyone. That's more of a self-focused. There are ways that you can be valuable uh, today and strengthen that relationship over time. Love that. Thank you. Now, Jim, what resources, quotes, or advice has helped you most during this crisis? There are lots of them, but one that I come to very often, and especially when it comes to leadership and message leadership communication. I'm drawn to one by John C. Maxwell, and he said, a leader is one who knows the way, goes the way, and shows the way. And not only is that alliterative, very much gets to um, the strategic advice that I give to clients and teams. So first there's knowing the way, right? So that is having the strategy, having the vision, knowing your team, knowing the message inside and out, what it ought to be. Then there's going the way, and that's modeling the behavior that you want out of your team, out of your organization. People will, of course, look to what you do as a mark of, should I do it? Is it important? Is it real? And then there's showing the way, which is, for me, I think of it as the leader adopting the role of coach, because people do want to know the why, and they want to know the what. They also want to know the how. How should I do that? So it's not just the what to do, it's the how. So knowing the way, going the way, and showing the way is how you craft the right message, the right priorities, how you model that behavior, and then how you teach other people and encourage them of how they can do it themselves. That's how you scale your value and scale for growth. So that's the one that I come to as a touchstone. It has helped me, and I think it has helped those that I'm advising and talking to as well. Just you have to keep some of those basics, some of those fundamentals in mind. As a leader and as a person who follows John Maxwell and his work, during this time, I did know the way, <laughs> but this kind of shook me. Now I don't. You know what I mean? I thought I knew the way, which was a different way. And then I have to shift my way, right? Be flexible yes. in that. And it won't be perfect. Hey, listen, in, in times of upheaval of dramatic external events that have forced themselves on us, knowing the way doesn't mean you know perfection. It doesn't mean that you know with 100% certitude. None of us have that. But your teammates, whoever it is that you're helping to lead, they want to know that there is a way and there's some confidence in it. And yes, we'll have to adjust and yes, we'll have to pivot. But there is a way that we're going to go forward, and that needs to be articulated and reinforced on a regular basis. So nature doesn't tolerate a vacuum, and people are worried enough, especially if they don't think there's a plan, and a plan for us that fits us, uh, that's articulated from the top. Education has been disrupted, and you know, we can look forward into the future and think, well, this could be a good thing. Some people are scared as well. So knowing the way is we're in a gray area right now trying to figure out the way. But what I love about what you said is that we take action and we adjust as we go along because we're in this together, right? We're learning yes. this together. Hey, leaders, stay tuned for the rest of the interview following this brief message. If you want to find, claim, develop, and expand your voice in order to land that job, those clients, or that partner, then Master Your Swag podcast is for you. You don't have to have expert credentials to be featured, and you can select from several plans that can perfectly match your needs. Go to MasterYourSwag.com and claim your spot as a guest, and be ready to get noticed. That's MasterYourSwag.com.
All right. So Jim, many use the term lifelong learner. What does that mean to you and what are you learning right now? Well, I'm learning a lot, again, having been in higher education and uh, corporate management for a while, and now I still scratch that teaching and learning itch through the work that I do today. I think it comes for me at this stage in lots of different ways. So one of the ways that I continue to learn is through different experiences. So working with different executives, teams, and different industries, different perspectives on business, the world in which I work, through looking at it from someone who is in recruiting truck drivers, or someone else who produces software, or someone else who makes medical equipment, someone else who's in financial services. It's different language and different perspectives. So the different experiences have been a big driver. I think a lot of whom you surround yourself with, so some diversity there, that's a big burning issue for leaders. And it's a tough area and where a lot of people like yourself who are advisors and coaches come in, if you're a, particularly on a business leadership side, it's hard to find other people who share the pressures on you, who have the same perspective, but don't have a stake in your decision. They have a stake in your success. They care about you, but they're not trying to get budget from you. They're not trying to get a promotion from you. And so finding other people that have those relationships and some diversity there is part of learning. I think learning skills at this point are like, oh, I need to learn how to run a virtual meeting. What is this Zoom thing? Zoom is a new four-letter word around our organization. And we just got on today and talked about this note-taker thing that came up on Zoom. What is that? So we're learning. Exactly. We learned together. I gave the example earlier about converting the learning, the skill development from a workshop into a series of virtual meetings. And how does that work? It's not the same but can we get value from that? And how do we get those skills? How do you lead and motivate a team when you can't get together in the ways that we have in the past? Other parts about lifelong learning is what you read, what you listen to, and the act of writing itself, whether you're writing in a journal, you're writing your goals for the day, or you're writing blog posts or books or whatever else it might be. So I think we can control the noise to a large extent. I deliberately of not watching a whole lot of news, Lily. But what I do is I listen to podcasts and I read things and sometimes in the business genre and sometimes out of it. Mm -hmm. So that reading, listening, writing, I think that's an important part of learning and how we're able to continue to be valuable. So I'm curious, when you talk about writing, do you differentiate writing on a computer, typing things out, or writing with a pen to paper what do you prefer why i prefer pen to paper or i use a remarkable tablet which is fantastic and there's a plug for remarkable but i've seen their ads by the way it does look very uh, if you love to write this is a great tool anyway you asked the question about writing and the actual format of writing and what you can't see here on uh, listeners, we are we're looking at each other through Zoom, of course, and speaking here, I have two whiteboards in my home office and the large format post-it notes. And so I tend to think visuals and boxes and arrows, and I keep a journal. So I like the physical act of writing. One of the areas that I researched for my book was about how do we retain? And is there a difference in just in that format that you talked about? And I was referred to a couple of studies that I cited in the book. It was a study of, I believe it was law students and some other students and some other corporate learners who were either 
tapping uh, notes away on their laptops or they were taking handwritten notes. And probably won't surprise you, Lily, those who took the notes by hand took fewer notes, but they did better on subsequent tests of learning. They internalized it better. One of the things about writing it down is you're forced to interpret in the moment what's important and not just acting like a court reporter and getting every note, every word down and then come back to it later. So that I find personally, and the research seems to bear it out, that the act of writing and interpreting in the moment will help you absorb and learn and apply better down the road. I absolutely get that. <laughs> you're an example of the yes, effectiveness. Yes, yes. All right. So, Jim, when you think of leadership today, what most concerns you and what are you most hopeful about? What concerns me about some of the yapping about leadership today is there are some self-styled leadership experts and gurus who I really do think make it about them. It's really about here's my example. Here's what I did. Do it this way rather than providing principles that can be tailored and used uh, in different settings. The other thing that I don't like very much is those who have what I would consider to be shortcuts. Here are my 157 leadership hacks. That's not knowing the way, going the way, and showing the way, is it? Mm -hmm. So what I do find, it makes me hopeful, and this outweighs what troubles me, because I think there's a lot of good things happening in the leadership space and in leader behavior. With all of the mantras about authenticity and vulnerability and asking for help, sometimes it can seem a little trite, but it's real. And I find it playing out in real life, especially during this pandemic, Lily. I think people are much more willing to ask for help. They're much more willing to have conversations, recognizing the importance of empathy in being our true selves and bringing our humanity into leadership. That's really, again, playing itself out. And the most effective leaders, I find, do that. They've been doing it for a while. They may be doing it subconsciously, but I think the really good leaders continue to get better by doing that intentionally. We're seeing the effects of that right now during this crisis. Thank you for sharing that. Now, I have a little section where former leaders have asked questions of you. Okay, so here we go. That's um, right. And I don't know what this question is going to be. Know. I can and tell you the guest does not know what's coming. <laughs> oh, I'm ready. I, okay. I think. So Evan Robb, who's a principal at a school, he does have an MBA, so he knows business as well. He was talking about how schools move at a slower pace. But with this COVID-19 and staying home and education being disrupted, he's had to make decisions a lot quicker than he's used to making in a typical setting. So the question is, how do you handle the need to make quick decisions in a very dynamic environment? That's an interesting question. And I think back not only at the principal level, but I think back to my time in higher education as a professor. And my first teaching job and my first committee assignment was to this thing called the Committee on Committees. I did not know that such a thing would exist, but it pointed out to me the bureaucracy that was there and the importance on consensus. And that is generally a really good thing, especially when it comes into education. And it can be for a lot of other organizational settings as well. We don't want to be autocratic. We don't want to be forcing too much from the top people will not follow along. However, the question is, how do we move faster? 
how can we make faster decisions when I can imagine at the school level or district level or a campus level, you have embedded processes and the org chart and systems and technology and all of our habits in there. I think this is the time when people can realize that works the 99% of the time where we're not in a pandemic, right? So we have to get agreement that the old processes may not apply in the same way. And our very survival, our very relevance is at stake. And so I think there are ways that you can still honor the tradition of consensus without getting bogged down into we have to have six committee meetings about this. An effective leader can say, we can hold true to our values. If our value is customer first, whatever those core principles are, but the means through which we deliver upon those must change. Fantastic. Thank you so much for responding to Evan Rob. Now, as a listener of this podcast, what is a question that you would like a future leadership guest to respond to? For decades and decades, we've had research that's come out where if you ask leaders if they're good communicators, they tend to say yes. Oh, I'm always in touch with my team. I'm asking questions. I'm listening. I'm doing all that. If you ask the people who report to that boss, they typically say, that boss stinks as a communicator. <laughs> and they don't <laughs> necessarily use just the word stinks. We'll keep it yeah. as clean as we can, but <laughs> say, no, no, no. That's just not a core strength of, of right. that person. Knowing that, I would ask a question. If you've seen a really good leader or you've had a really good boss in the past, what were the specific communication practices that made that person effective? What did they do different? And I think of there's some mantras like, well, you just can't over-communicate. I think that's wrong. You can definitely communicate the wrong thing too often. <laughs> or the way that we think about communication may be I'm dispensing information, but not listening very well. So that would be the question that I think for a future guest, if they've seen or worked with a very effective leader, what did they do differently in communication, knowing that that is a gap for most bosses? Okay, perfect. Thank you so much. I will certainly ask that. And so stay tuned. Now, is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners? I would like to share this. And it's just a perspective that, again, that's come from working with lots of small companies, individual subject matter experts, Fortune 500 companies across lots of different industries. And there's a core frustration, anxiety, problem with, we don't know how to talk about our business very well. We don't really know how to talk about what we do. Can't really get people inside the organization to share it in a consistent way. It just seems all squishy and tough. And I don't know, what is this all about? I see a lot of leaders looking at this area of communication, the old quote from Mark Twain, when he was talking about the weather, he said, everyone talks about the weather, but no one does anything about it. And I think a lot of leaders approach messaging in much the same way. What I would convey here is you can have a very clear, consistent way that you talk about your work, you talk about your business, and you can have that shared widely as a growth lever for what you do. You just don't have to be perfect, and it doesn't take a certain kind of person. It's just a manageable business problem, and that's whether you were looking at operations or finance or talent or technology, whatever, 
you fit it into its manageable pieces and you follow a few principles. So it's not that mysterious, Lily. And that's what I lay out in the book in the three pieces of getting your message right, of how you recruit and energize a, a fan base of messengers to help you share it, and the management habits that will keep that together, keep the message relevant and fresh and consistent over time. So take a look at that, follow some simple principles, tailor it to your organization. Don't worry about it. You don't have to be perfect, but if you can do it consistently pretty well, you'll be way ahead of the game. So just consider this is a manageable business issue. You can do it. I love that. And I want to thank you so much for adding value to me and to our listeners. It's been my pleasure, Lily. Thank you. Have a great day and stay safe. You as well. In closing, here's a quick message. Coaching is the art of influence that underpins leadership in the 21st century. It is the very thing that can get you from being stuck to being extraordinary. So go to masterleadership.org and sign up to get a free coaching session. Until next time, continue to ignite that leader in you.